Welcome to the new Cyber Frontier, bringing you the latest news and initiatives that focus on the development of cybersecurity economics. You don't have to be a computer or cybersecurity expert to get plugged in. Your host brings it straightforward, asks the tough questions, and brings the cyber world to a level of understanding for everyone. You can find us on the web at www.newcyberfrontier.com. Now join our host as he introduces the topic for today's New Cyber Frontier. Welcome to today's episode of New Cyber Frontier. On this episode, continuing on our series of Just Talking, where we have Dr. Murray, Tim Montgomery, and myself, Christopher Gorog, the three hosts that we've been doing this for eight years and talking to lots of you, talking to lots of you off the, off the show, on topics and ideas and places to go. Uh, today's show, um, we're going to talk about something that's very current, relevant. Um, last year, we started at the, the federal level, uh, an organization for zero trust. What is zero trust? What does that mean to everybody? Uh, and for this, I'm going to start. I opened up the uh, the, the um, zero trust maturity model drafts um, and uh, have, where they've identified five pillars. So um, bringing Tim and Sean into the conversation, welcome at first to you guys, uh, but uh, give us, you know, 20 seconds, 30 seconds on what Zero Trust is to each of you. Want to go, Sean? Me. Uh, so, uh, you know, <laughs> we, we, we talk about the Zero Trust, it, it, in my opinion, is, is a concept that uh, the industry, it's the new buzzword everyone's looking at look for every layer that I need to get to get to into the critical or sensitive information in my organization, I should be properly identified and challenged at each level. No sim more single sign on and then I get access to all of the things that I need based on the identity that I only had to submit once and validate and then I was authorized. The idea behind zero trust is looking at all of our business processes and we know that 80% of our we provide that level of rigor to validate level of access, identity, and the security associated with each one of those areas before we get access to it. We zero trust all the way through the process. Yeah, and I'll pick you back up that. Trust but verify, right? Trust but verify. So it's not one time and that's it, right? Like you said, that single sign-on concept. Um, and then you're talking about when you when we break down this, uh, I always look at the OSI model and the different layers, application, session, presentation. So as we get through certain protocols, ports, things that are being used inside the inf information system to for it to interface to the human, um, these are certain levels you've got to keep when you pull open a file or when you open an application, especially with cloud-based products. Um, you're going through several different layers of systems, um, you know, because virtualization, the cloud concept, and just the main hardware. Um, so validations through each one of those layers. Um, so trust but verify is the concept here. The second thing is, is um, you talk about devices, identity, things of that nature. You know, these are things I think they're going to be concerns in the future uh, because not everybody really has to keep up with that type of uh, factor for these models. So, I mean, it, it really comes back to the concept. You got to validate at multiple levels and consistency, consistently. So, yeah, interesting. And uh, 
uh, my my definition takes a little bit of a wider view, looking at you know the digital age. I would say. Uh, and how do we trust? I, I heard Tim talking about within an organization a lot. You could tell uh, Sean talking about almost data models uh, within applications. Uh, you know, my look is what does the the world look like? How do we trust somebody that we're doing e-commerce with from the other side of the planet? How do we trust another company? How do we trust that data is authentic? How do we trust that news is real? Uh, and how is that set up? In the ecosystem that is our modern age, how do we know who and what is utilizing our information because we can know whether we trust them before we give it to them? Uh, and those type of parameters that are more ecosystem specific, uh, it kind of is my view. Back, oh, we're going to take a break here from our sponsors. We'll be right back. It's a good place for a break. BlockFrame technology offers next-generation blockchain-managed trust and security. Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. Deploy advanced peer-to-peer -peer product security, scale zero trust capability to millions of IoT devices, allow vendor tracking and accountability, and rapidly reset from compromise. Unchangeable, time-sequenced blockchain data provides next-generation security using machine learning trust algorithms and audit analytics. Start securing your supply chain today by contacting BlockFrame at www.blockframetech.com. Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. On today with Tim Montgomery, Dr. Murray, and myself, Christopher Gorog, on our Just Talking series, uh, uh, we've talked to you for, for eight years or so. We've been doing this show. Uh, we've heard from you off, offline. And we're just kind of pulling in some of the, you know, the topics and what did we hear from you and what more advanced could we get from you? And we're going to ask some specific pointed questions. Today's show, talking about zero trust, kind of the latest buzzword. Before the break, all three of us said, you know, what is our scope? How do we look at it? Um, and now we're just kind of, you know, one of the things that I have open on my other monitor here, which is why I'm looking back and forth, is the CISA Zero Trust Maturity Model, uh, where they have identified kind of the initial how from the federal level we're going to look at what zero trust is with five pillars. And I think there was four at first. They've added another one uh, since the last time I looked at it. But they have identity, device, network environment, application workload, and data. And, uh, you know, what, what's your thoughts? We'll kind of let each of you, you know, think about where and what. I heard Sean say a couple of those when he was given his explanation of data flow. Um, but thoughts? You know, um, so CISA bases it off of the NIST um, Zero Trust Framework, right? So 800-207. Um, and if you, if you quote, you know, what, what the basics are from NIST perspective, Zero trust is a cybersecurity paradigm fo focused on you know, resources, uh, protection, the premise that trust is never granted implicitly, but to be continually evaluated, either at the network level, the identity level. Um, they use terms like the trusted internet connections. Mm -hmm. um, they look at, from an operational perspective, a different uh, focus with uh, a collection of concepts, ideas designated in minimize uncertainty in enforcing accurate 
uh, least privilege. We talked about that before. Um, request access decisions and information systems and services. You know, throughout the network, from the time that you say you're VPNing in to the time that you sever that connection. And these different uh, pillars look like that each one has a you know, infrastructure the way it's built at those layers. They define them by the the applied layer for the infrastructure itself, an IT infrastructure. And it sounds like each one of them will take on their own methodologies to do their own security work to validate. Um, so, you, like you said, the, the it's a continuous measure too. So it'll validate um, every time you open something, every time you log into something. It may, if you if it goes idle and you have to come back, it may ask you to revalidate something. Um, so it, it sounds to me like they're really getting down to sectionalizing, segmenting the idea of how to validate trust uh, on multiple layers, multiple levels. So, you know, I think something we, we raised over here is um, the definition of trust. We're talking about trust and we're all giving our own meaning to it and just using yeah. the word blanketly. Um, my, I'll, I'll kind of start on that one because I used to teach a class on trust and I would prelude uh, by saying that trust is our verification, our cybersecurity controls that we use in CIA, but they add a time aspect to it. So if we have, we can verify identity or authenticate somebody right now, we know they're authenticated. But if we can prove they're authenticated over a period of five minutes, we have authentication trust over that time. If we can prove that we have suppressed data, so it is encrypted or, or held private, and we've done it right now, we know that we saved it as, as a suppressed data item or a private data item. But two years from now, we pull it out. How do we know that it was suppressed for that whole time? If we can verify that over that time, that is trust in suppression, trust. And there's a paper I published on this actually of the five different types of trust. But the same with integrity. If we verify integrity, and we know that it was integrous over a certain amount of time, we have the integrity trust over that time. And that's the concept of trust is adding time into it where we know that it's reoccurring. You know, it, 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 you hit right on top of, you know, the when we reflect back on the zero trust, trust architecture with NIST, what you're actually describing is tenant four which is access to resources, which is determined by dynamic policy, which also includes the observable state that you were just talking about, the client identity, maybe the application service or the requesting asset, and then you know may include other behavioral or uh, environmental attributes. Tenant 4 specifically looks at those things that you just described. Hmm. Well, I think, I think with the idea of trust, you do have to, there has to be a, a factor that comes in that one validates it like an ATO process, like an authorization to operate. So these controls, they get validated by multiple groups of individuals, which then creates a baseline. So policies will go into play, operational components start to um, start to evolve out of systems. So 
this is where we evolved a concept of trust within the system. So from that point forward, it would apply to what, what you were saying. At some point, the integral, the trust, the concept of it being trusted um, for a system, there's a baseline to it and moving forward, then you have the constructs of what's continuous monitoring factors um, that alludes to being able to keep that trust. So th these things where you have this posture and that type of posture alludes to the very value of the trust inside the system. So, I mean, these are the things that cybersecurity professionals constantly do on a daily basis to keep that trust, to keep the posture of that trust. So, yeah, and, and looking at the design aspect of it, this is why we're using uh, technologies pioneered in blockchain, where it's actually chaining of trust. We're verifying forensically during the time of operation that time added to your trusted events, to your events, so that they can hold trust over a time frame and using mm -hmm. distributed ledger, i.e. known as blockchain used in cryptocurrency, to do that as a tool. Yeah, the data, data rest, data uh, in motion concepts for trust. Um, that's where that pillar data would come into play for blockchain and the way you would use that method uh, to uh, create the trust, keep the trust, the integrity of that trust. So I, I think that, um, you know, and one of the things that, that we're working on, even with some demonstrations, uh, is the, the chaining of trust across devices for critical infrastructure. So now not thinking as much data, which will come in the future, but we have to start somewhere with our interconnected, the security of little devices on networks and organizing the trusted chain of them so that we can have zero trust. So a device that has never been communicated with before, which we have this all the time on critical infrastructure networks, or one that's been dormant, or, you know, it's, they sit on a, a network for five, 10 years and no human touches them, which we talked mm -hmm. about on a previous show. How do we continuously monitor over time, their behavior, their operations, their security features, so we can say we trust them now for this time frame that a human hasn't touched them. And that, that's actually some prototypes that are being put together now that are worth following. So look into those as you know, you'll see a lot of our, our stuff coming out with those as far as, and that's, I think in looking at the pillars falls under the network and environment, um, mm. and maybe even application workspace, which some people might say, what is that? Um, I would say that application workspace is more of a, products and models think of an application workload as an ecosystem of your android devices they're not in any one place they're not owned by any one person but they're all coordinated with by one organization or your phone company or multiple organizations and their service providers so it's a it's more of an the application division out over a distributed number of resources and ownership basically chris I'd, I'd add to that too like the um cloud platforms today the applications the type of uh, factors that applications provide the attributes that applications bring uh to day-to-day -day operations um so now salesforce those are two particular big parts that we look at and the way they evolve agile processes and development of applications uh that create services inside of those platforms yeah well we have um coming up on our break time but uh 
we have I have several recorded items that we're going to talk about uh, uh, from shows where we went around to different booths and asked people, what is your impression of Zero Trust? So the second half of this show is actually going to be a collage of what everybody said as we walked around the show. So I hope you enjoy that. And uh, I'll let uh, Tim and Sean kind of give any last closing statements for this. And then after the break, stay tuned for several different people's on walking the floor of uh, the uh, the cyberspace symposium last year, what they had to say about trust. Anything in closing, guys? John, anything? Yeah, I just want make sure that when we talk about zero trust, it's not just a information or a cybersecurity concept. The business still needs to collect as much information as possible about the current state of the assets, the network infrastructure, communications um, it uses to improve its security posture for all of its business processes. And I would add that systems are current and we start to step into zero trust. Um, we really need to start evaluating uh, if the policies we're following are true, whether need, there's gap analysis involved to make sure that as we move into a zero trust uh, platform or model that we really do take into account what we already have so we can evolve the system properly. So yeah. Well, thank you both for, for contributing today. Well, after the break, we'll kind of go into our collage, and I hope you enjoy our walking around of the Cyberspace Symposium and asking Denver people, what is your concept, your definition of zero trust? Thanks for joining today. Thanks, everyone. So welcome to New Cyber Frontier here. We're at the Rocky Mountain Cyberspace Symposium 2018, where sponsor Deloitte and Touche is joining us. Deloitte now, right? That's right, yeah. Um, and uh, they have been gracious to sponsor and be the prime sponsor for this event. Uh, and it's really doing some wonders. I hope you can hear all the background probably around us. A lot of energy here. Yeah, good event. Good stuff. It was an amazing competition they had here yesterday for Capture the Flag. So, Ryan, Ryan, introduce yourself. I know you've been on before. Yeah, sure. It's great to be back, Chris. Thanks for having me. I'm Ryan Roberts. I'm a senior manager with Deloitte in our cyber risk services practice. Um, as uh, Chris mentioned, this is our uh, second year doing a cyber capture the flag, uh, bringing in universities uh, from really around the country now. Uh, proud to say we've got some out-of-state uh, universities that participated. And really, it's just a, a fun event, gives the students some exposure uh, to cyber defense, allows them to practice their skills in sort of a controlled environment. And part of that is somebody takes home the flag and, uh, and we throw some prizes at the winner. So really a great experience uh, for me selfishly. I get to sort of uh, look at and observe some of our young cyber talent, and uh, hopefully they get something out of it by sharpening, again, their skills, Chris. It's, it's really great. Great yeah. event. So explain yesterday's event. What did that consist of? What were the students doing? Yeah, sure. So first, it's five teams. Uh, you can have up to four uh, students each on your team. They must be university students. They bring in all of their own tools. So they can bring in a laptop. We've had folks bring in desktops, any tools that they want. They connect into uh, what we call the Deloitte Hackathon portal. It's a Deloitte-developed platform, uh, which we then present challenges to the students across several different arenas, uh, crypto web, network, those sorts of things. They're presented these challenges and they leverage their tools in different scenarios within a cyber 
range to find these flags by uh, exercising the scenarios, using their tools to find uh, the hidden flags, putting those flags in, and when they score, makes a big sound, uh, the sound that Mario makes when he gets a coin. Everybody cheers, and uh, the leaderboard gets updated. So it's, it's a lot of fun, and uh, uh, part of the strategy for the competitors is really what challenges do they want to use? How do they leverage the tools that they brought and the skills that they have to sort of navigate to, of course, get the most points? Yeah. So give us an example of like one or two of the easiest things and what the students found. Yeah. Going through it. So one of my favorites is we have a, a Wireshark uh, exercise. So it's a scenario where you go into a, a simulated range environment. You do a Wireshark capture across the network mm -hmm. and you actually uh, capture some PCAP data. And within that PCAP data, there's a sound file, and if you can leverage Wireshark to replay properly the packets, the sound file will play you your flag. It will give you the code you need to then input that flag. So it's a lot of fun. More of a basic one, but certainly helps them, again, exercise their tools, whether it's Wireshark or another uh, packet capture tool. It helps them understand how what you do with PCAP data uh -huh. and mine uh, certain payloads out of that. In this case, a simple uh, sound file. Play that sound file and get the, get the but flag. it wasn't in text. No, no, no. It wasn't no. that they could just do a search. No, that's right. It in there. They that's had right. To... They had to rebuild the packet. Just, uh -huh. uh, just as you would as a real cyber defender, and frankly, just as our adversaries might do, pick out the payload that you need, in this case a sound file, reconstruct that sound file, listen to the sound file for the flag, mm -hmm. put that flag in, and you get the points for it. So simple example, but really uh, really a fun fun thing to watch the students yeah. go through. Yeah. Was there any hint that they knew it was a sound file, or they just had to figure this out on their own? So there are some subtle things that in the titles of the challenges. There might be a few hints. We, ha we usually have one or two sentences that might help guide them a little bit, uh -huh. and the harder the challenges, the less hints we give them, right? Okay. Yeah. So did you actually have them like digging in, like finding password files, trying to get into computers, set permissions? Is that some of the more advanced ones? Absolutely, yes. And so I'll preface all that by saying not real computers, right? This is all simulated. <laughs> we're, not, uh, we're not pointing them at anyone's real environment, but we absolutely uh, present all sorts of different challenges that, that may involve cracking a password on a zip file or uh, getting into a Windows computer, as an example. Um, all different challenges, again, really meant to help sharpen and hone their skills as cyber defenders. Yeah? Yeah. So what, I, I didn't, I wasn't around for the winning. Who was the winning university this year? So it was the uh, United States Air Force Academy. Okay, uh, they were ahead when I left. Yeah, they did a great job, um, and uh, it's great. We have a flag on Guidon, so we have a large military community here, so we actually wanted to have a physical flag uh, that sort of had a military theme. So uh, in the award ceremony, we present the guide on with the CTF flag, and they get to take that back to uh, the Air Force Academy. And like I said, of course, we give prizes out to first, second, and third. So it's a lot of, it's a lot of fun, Chris. How, how do we rank in the, on the rest of the list there? So, um, I, so I'm trying to remember who was second and third. I don't, I don't know offhand. I should have wrote that down. But um, it was really a good competition. Everyone got on the board. Everyone scored a fair amount of points. And to see the students, they all, all were, were all leaving here thinking about what they were going to do next year, what different tools they might bring, and so mm -hmm. really a great experience. Yeah, definitely. So as far as go back, zoom back a little bit, this event here, uh, the Cyberspace Symposium, 
Um, talk about what you got, how you were involved, when you were involved, you know, what all is here, what kind of scale they have and everything. Yeah, so uh, the FCA Rocky Mountain Cyber Symposium really for us in Colorado Springs is critical, right? Deloitte is trying to present themselves as someone who wants to help this community become a cyber center of excellence. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris, as you and I have talked about before, uh, this uh, Colorado Springs really has the bones, if you will, to be the cyber Silicon Valley of the United States, to be that national hub for cyber. And so part of what we're doing here is to help the, help raise that community standard. We want to build cyber professionals right here that want to stay here in Colorado Springs so that, frankly, Deloitte can hire them and, and have them uh, help service our customers in the cyber arena. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how many vendors and everything are here? Do you know that? I don't know. I don't okay. know the stats on Absia. Yeah. What four or five rows here? Quite a, it's quite a, a big show. It's a year. it's a good turnout, and uh, it's a great mix of military, government, uh, and uh, and industry, which is really the best part, right? You you get all perspectives on the problem set. Lots of great discussions here, especially around our national defense assets. So it's it's the right place for us to be. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, and we were talking just a couple minutes ago with uh, some of the military here about pipeline for students yes. and new employees. And, yes. And so we've had such a problem in you know, uh, cyber workforce, not being enough, right? That's right. There's all kinds of open recs we're looking for, but yet on this military side, especially focused here with this being such a military organization uh, and event, um, they need government clearances. That's exactly right. And I love the conversation we just walked away from for, with one of the agencies here in town about you know how can we use Deloitte as a pipe for bringing in people, students, interns. That's right. To get cleared the security clearance so that then they can move into the workforce. That's exactly right, Chris. We've got a significant capacity problem already here in Colorado Springs around cyber professionals that are certified. Mm-hmm. Then, as you just well said, once you put a clearance requirement on top of that, it, it uh, greatly, again, shrinks the already small pool of professionals. So what we were kicking around, again, Chris, as you said, great conversation. How do we start partnering with the government to bring in interns that maybe they are on a one-year internship where uh, they're able to leave that internship with a secret clearance at least. Um, That expands the pool uh, in the community for all of us to share. It gets that student some real-world resume-building experience uh, that they can go and leverage. And again, frankly, selfishly, uh, someone that uh, I'll be standing right outside the gate when they get their degree at their university of choice and will be handing them my business card to see if they want to work for Deloitte. So great for industry, great for government. I think it's uh, something we need to explore. Yeah. Definitely. I hope we can uh, can kind of make that a real reality. Yeah. But, um, uh, what are the takeaways from this year's show? What What's your thoughts about the overall performance, what you saw? You know, what you, you're going to get out of this this year? Yeah, I'm encouraged by the level of attention across uh, military, government, and industry. You know, cyber is a big problem set, and no one is going to be able to tackle this problem alone. And so the level of attention and attendance uh, that this event is bringing is encouraging to a cyber professional like myself who's been looking at this problem for quite a few many years and uh, and fr- frankly in some sectors it's been largely ignored I don't think it's being ignored anymore I think it's been give- it's starting to get the attention that it needs 
in that attention, what's front and center? What do you see? People. It's, it's what we've been talking about. How are we going to get these folks the, the expertise that they need to help us to defend our most national critical assets? It's the conversation we just had about internships. It's how do we uh, retain top talent, both in the military and on the industry side. Uh, a lot of those good conversations, that, like anything else, Chris, it breaks down in the people processes and technology, and it's the people part of this equation that is most lacking, in my opinion. Okay, well, there you go. And uh, great showing here at the Rocky Mountain Cyberspace Symposium. Definitely make sure you get out for this next year, and we'll hopefully be back to a capsule flag, maybe a bigger. That's right, bigger and better, bigger right? And better, yeah. yeah. We've thrown down the gauntlet, yeah. Okay, so the second year, though, and it looked uh, looked good. I mean, got a nice setup here behind us. You can see this, um, that it was a little bit better than even last year. That's with right. The tables. That's right. So, yeah, we're getting, getting it going, and uh, maybe you'll see Deloitte's uh, capture flag at other events. Anything else scheduled? Yeah, so we did uh, AFCIA down uh, at Alamo Ace in San Antonio. Okay. We're looking at AFCIA West and some other things. Uh, just a great opportunity for us to participate. So. Okay, yeah. so university students or whatever, reach out to Deloitte. How do they get in contact to, to get into the next event? Yeah, so we're, we're trying to proactively reach out to you all, but uh, you can certainly contact me, and Chris has, uh, Chris has my contact information, and uh, uh, feel free to reach out anytime. Yeah. All right, and uh, once again, reach out to us at New Cyber Frontier. Uh, info at uh, logiccentralonline.com if you want to send an email, and uh, we'll get you in touch with Ryan or Deloitte or whoever else is working on these next version of these capsule flags. Great. Right. Thanks, Chris. Always yep. a pleasure. Yep. Appreciate Thanks for it. Thanks joining today. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of New Cyber Frontier. Remember to get involved. Often we think that someone else will handle privacy and security in the virtual world, but you are the only one truly in command of your virtual fate. Join our mailing list so we can keep you informed of breaking news and new releases. If you have an idea, if you have a question that you would like to hear answered, or if you want to get involved with our efforts, reach out to us at NewCyberFrontier.com. We also encourage you to visit our sponsors' links as they are the ones that really make this show possible. I want to thank each of you for supporting the show, and we look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of New Cyber Frontier.